was, as I was listening to announcements this morning, I thought, wow, this, this must be a tough church. We are teaching our children in self-defense. <laughs> so we're going to preach the gospel to you. Hope that you hear that. In case you don't, we're ready. <laughs> uh, I always call uh, on Wednesday during the summertime when we don't have truth seekers. We often, often have our youth from our truth seekers come and join us for prayer time. And I gather a group of here, about 10 young, young, young guys, and I call them my warriors. And that's what they are. I'm thankful to God for preparing even our children, our young boys and young men, preparing them to be warriors. It's fitting in our text today, um, our text in Revelation 12. Revelation shows us, it really is a picture, it's a picture book. And so you're going to see a lot of pictures, and they tell a story. They tell a story of how the story is going to end. And we need to know that. If you're reading the book, sometimes you want to flip to the back cover and kind of get a review. Um, but you want to kind of know how this thing is working out. And if you're living a Christian life, you certainly need to know how it's going to end. Because times when you get in the middle of it, 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 it can be very difficult. In fact, it is difficult. There's challenges that we face. But when we read to the end of the book, and we understand what God has in store, we are encouraged to persevere. And so I think that the thought of revelation is that God's people might persevere and recognize what he's doing at the end of things so they can continue on right where they are. It's the life of the disciples. They had to persevere. They watched their Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, live a life and set a testimony or example for them, and they followed that very path. Almost to a letter, each disciple followed as a death for their faith, just as Jesus did. And so the one remaining disciple is the one that God used. Here's John, and God began to speak and give his revelation to John so that John could encourage the, ch the church throughout all ages of what God's plan was. I find it fitting as we celebrate this Christmas season to not stop at the mere birth of Christ, but understand what God's overall purpose is and how that birth of Christ fits in with all of God's purpose. Otherwise, we become so much like the world. The world is blind in their celebration of Christmas. It's interesting. I think the word Christmas is very fitting. If you look at it, it's christ Mass. We use the word today, mass or celebration. It's the celebration of Christ. That's very fitting because the celebration of Christ is not just looking at Christ as a baby born into the world and stopping there. He's a baby born for a purpose and born in a special way for the very purpose of God. 
So let's take a look at Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to focus on verses 7 through 12. But you get the picture that the Word of God is giving us in this entire chapter. He says, a great sign appeared in heaven. John the Apostle is the one that God used to write this word, this revelation, as well as the Gospel of John in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And he's showing John a picture, and he wants that picture to be shared with all of God's people. And he says, this great sign appeared. There's a woman, and she's pregnant. And she's very near the birth of that child. And she's in labor. So that's one sign. But there's another sign. It says in verse 3, it's a great red dragon. And we see these signs in Revelation, and, 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 and we wonder, wow, what, what is all of this picture, and what does it mean? And it seems kind of crazy to us, because we see this red, red dragon. It says it's got seven heads and ten horns. And on each of his head, he's got seven diadems. Without going into all of what that means, we recognize that he has some power and authority. And that's what the heads and the diadems call for. It says, though, that his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven. As we look in Revelation, we understand stars of heaven refer to the inhabitants of heaven or the angels themselves. And his tail sweeps down a third of those. We'll get a further explanation as we go on. And, and, and don't get me wrong, this is not for us to make up any way we want to. People want to go into Revelation and they say, I think it looks like this, or I think it is this. No, the Bible explains what it is. And it's consistent there so that we might get the right message. So these stars of heaven are cast down to the earth. And it says, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. That's a very clear and simple picture. He wants to destroy the child of this woman. Then it defines exactly who that child is. Look with me. Verse 5. She gave birth to a male child. One who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. It gives us that description. And we know from various places in Scripture exactly who that's speaking about. And as you follow the flow of Revelation, it's very plain who this is about. It's about Jesus Christ himself. He's described in various ways in Revelation to show us what God has in store for him and for us. Here, he's going to rule all the nations. Old Testament tells us that a virgin was going to give birth to a child. He would be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. Of his kingdom, there would be no end. That's the same child. 
You see, all of the all of the scripture focuses on this one person. In fact, he's the focus of all of history. He's the focus of all of God's plans. About time he'd be the focus of your life and my life, isn't it? That's what God intends. The male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. It's telling him, it's telling us the picture that we should get of Jesus is not just the baby in a manger. Yes, he was born and in a manger, and that's a specific reason for that. Because God's going to show what most consider to be insignificant and ignored is coming to rule all of eternity. That's what he's come to do. This dragon is waiting to devour this child as soon as it's born, but God protects this child. It says, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, and she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. But he's saying... The child was protected. We see that in Matthew chapter 2, uh, that Herod wanted to kill this child. When he found out that this king was going to be born in his kingdom, he said, I'm not having that. I'm going to do what I can to destroy this child. But we see that God protected this child. He protected Jesus as an infant and provided that protection. You've got to ask this question. Why is it? That God protected Jesus as a baby, and yet he's placed on a cross 33 years later. It's all in God's purpose. It, God, God didn't miss something. God didn't uh, uh, fail uh, uh, and let Satan have a victory there and like, oh, man, I wish I had done better there at protecting him. Maybe he would not have gone to the cross. It's God's very purpose that he sent his son into the world as a human being, as a baby, to represent us and then to die on a cross for our sin. So he's going to protect the woman. But I want to focus on verses 7 through 12. This is now war arose in heaven. I think this gives us insight as to what it means in the very first part of this when it says the tail of the dragon swept down a third of, uh, of the stars of heaven. It, it gives us the detail and explains that. War arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. In other words, this is a real fight. This is a real battle. This, this, this is intense, but it declares who won. I like that. But he was defeated, it says, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. You see, he lost the battle, and he was kicked out of heaven. Now, if you want to understand what, 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 what access to heaven looks like, you can look in the, in the book of Job and you can see, in fact, later on it causes him the accuser of the brethren. And again, Job is another book to refer to to understand what is happening behind the scenes. Revelation is, is given so that we might get a glimpse of what is happening behind the scene. What, of all, what in all of history has occurred? 
So it says in verse 9, the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now in this text, we see this happening and it is both good news and bad news. It's good news that he's defeated in heaven. And he's thrown down. He's, we're told that he's, he's cast, he's kicked out of heaven. I, I really love that term. I like the fact that he, he's not like just escorted out of heaven. You know how, how police do, you know, when they, when they find a criminal, they have to subdue him. And they, they, they try to, 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 to handle him gently and, and, and escort him to their place. That's a, he, the Bible says he was thrown out of heaven. He was kicked out. Like, go, get, boom, you out of here. See ya. He was defeated and thrown out. Now, I mentioned the book of Job because we, we, we see the access that he has to heaven where he is accusing Job of, of, of being a, 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 a trusting God just for what he can get out of it. By the way, nothing wrong with trusting God for what you get out of it. We all trust God for what we get out of it. It's smart, it's wise, it's intelligent to trust God for the salvation that he brings to us. It's foolish to think that things that he gives and blessings that he gives on top of that are better than the true blessing itself. That is eternal life. The Bible says we, we, we're going to live life and we can live it more abundantly. And people today are saying, well, you know, I want that abundant life. And what they have in mind is money, uh, physical things, uh, material things, clothes, uh, cars, homes, properties, uh, riches, jewelry. And, and here's the problem. That stuff is all going to fade away. If that's all you're getting out of it, you're going to lose in that exchange. But God has much more for us than just that. I'm reminded in our Matthew passage when Peter says to Jesus, you know, we've sacrificed everything for you. What will we get? You know what? Jesus didn't say, hey, sit down, shut up, don't worry about that. He didn't do that. He said, yeah, you have. And what you will receive is all that that you sacrifice and much more. He says, I got you, Peter. I got you. Every sacrifice you make in my name is well worth it. Jesus says, if you give so much as a cup of cold drink of water to someone in my name, you have your reward in heaven. He says, you will not regret any, to the smallest detail, anything that you do for my name. I got you. I got you. So it's not just acting spiritual. 
as if we have so much to sacrifice. We know. <laughs> we sacrifice gladly because it's worth it. Jesus says it's going to be worth it, well worth it. So Satan is cast down. He's identified here. And so it's a connection there. That's how we understand who the dragon is earlier in this passage. That's how we understand who this child that is born earlier in this passage and what the Bible says, because the Bible itself explains and gives us the detail. So it is Satan. He's called that old, that ancient one, the, the ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. It shows us what his intent is, what, what he does 24-7, we would say, his off-time, his full-time job, deceiving the world. He's doing a good job at that. But it says he was kicked out. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. I want you to notice the announcement. It says in verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven. You notice something in Revelation. Revelation just simply unfolds the plan of God. It starts by identifying God on his throne in heaven, Jesus there seated with him as the lamb. And you, going back to Revelation chapter 5, you see that God holds, he sits on the throne and he holds in his hand these seals. He, he holds a scroll that has seals on it. It has seven seals. In other words, this is his plan. This is, his, this is what is going to unfold. And they ask the question, who is, who is worthy to open these seals and tell us what God's plan is? And, and, and John is looking all around heaven, and, 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 and he's saying he was sad because there was no one worthy to unfold the plan of God. And then... An angel tells John, hey, John, don't, don't, don't be sad. Here comes someone who is going to reveal the plan of God and all that he has in store for us. And this someone is, is the lion of the tribe of Judah. I love that description. He's called the lion because he has come to conquer. But in the next verse in Revelation 5, he's also called the lamb. He's both lion and lamb. And this, again, shows us the purpose and the plan of God. Too often we sing Jesus as the simple lamb, and, and that's kind of what his birth kind of pictures, one who comes with humble settings, humble beginning. He, he's wrapped in, in, in ragged cloths. He's laying in a manger as a baby in a place where cattle ought to be. Not fit for a king. He comes in... In, in full humility and in full humanity. But he won't always be just that. He's going to show himself in his fullness for who he really is. And that's where the lion part of that comes. One who has come to conquer. The king of kings and the lord of lords. So in verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven. I was, I was saying that oftentimes we hear in Revelation the trumpets 
when these seals in Revelation chapter 5, these seven seals are released, we, we see the plan of God. We see his judgment against this world and against sin and how things are going to conclude in all of eternity. Jesus is the one opening those seals. And when he gets to the seven seals, there's also seven trumpets. And you can imagine a trumpet. A trumpet is to get your attention. The trumpet is a loud announcement. Trumpets were used to call the army together. It was called to send the troops out. It, it was called to, to let everybody know and to announce to everyone, this is what's happening now. So here in Revelation 12, it says, Now I heard a loud voice in heaven. That's saying to us, pay attention. Listen. Announcement is about to be given, and you don't want to miss it. Here is what it says. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. God is saying, I am about to fulfill my purpose and my plan, and that plan is centered on my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look back a chapter in Revelations 11, verse 15. It says that then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? The kingdom of our world has become the kingdom of of our Lord and of his Christ. It's saying God is now going to rule. You remember how Jesus taught us how to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. You see, when, when, when Satan started to rebel in heaven, God's will was done, and he was squashed. And he was sent down to earth, and he's wreaking havoc right now. But our prayer is that God will finish the job and set Satan in his place on earth and doom him to his eternal state in the lake of fire for all of eternity. God is bringing about his purpose. He wants us to pray according to his purpose. Pray according to his purpose. How do you pray? Lord, give me this job. Lord, give me a raise. Lord, bless my flu so the symptoms go away. Is there anything wrong with any of those things? No. But it's just short-sighted. God wants us to pray according to his eternal purpose. In other words, give me this job, if that's your purpose, that I might care for my family, raise them to honor you, to trust you, stand strong in this place of employment as an example and a testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and sustain the life that you have given me so that I might bring glory to you. Don't stop short. He's doing this 
to, uh, to, to, to bring about his purpose. How does your life and how does your mind think and jail with the very purpose of God. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless you not just randomly, but for his plan and for his purpose to glorify himself. Back to Revelation 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. Why? For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. In other words, we got him kicked out of heaven. That's plan one. <laughs> That's the first step of God's plan. Clearing him out of heaven, but he's cast down to earth. But let's finish this. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Can I pause right there? This, it, it explains what the purpose of, of Satan is. He accuses before God those who trust in God. He, he's trying to bring accusation against us. And, and, and that's I love the book of Job. Job, the book of Job kind of plays out this whole idea. Behind the scene. Satan comes to God and says, well, actually, it's God who, who says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Let me back up a little bit. God says to Satan, what you been doing? And Satan says, I've been walking to and fro on the earth, doing my thing. I want you to notice something in there is, is that he works under the complete sovereignty of God. He doesn't do anything outside of what God allows him to do. And he reports directly to God. In other words, he's not just doing his own thing outside of God's control. What you been doing, Satan? Tell me. Well, I've been going to and fro on the earth, doing my thing. And then God says to him, in your twos and fro's, have you considered my servant Job? He's a righteous man. He's upright. I, can you imagine for God to give that testimony? He's bragging on Job to Satan. And you and I say, whoa, what if he bragged on me? But be careful a little bit, all right? Because <laughs> Satan don't like that. And you got to be willing to go through what Job went through as well. But don't be afraid of that. Because God will give you the strength and the power to endure that as he did to Job. But he also strengthened you purify you in the process. And that's what he does with Job. And so he, he tells Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And Job is the accuser of the brother. He said, Job ain't all that. I mean, Satan is the accuser of the brother. And he says to Job, Job ain't all that. Just let me have him. He's, this is what Satan says to, to God. Job is doing that because you shielded him and protected him. And you won't let nothing but good happen to him. And that's why he's serving you. Now, that's a lie. That's a bold-faced lie. But that's what he comes. He accuses the brethren, believers, before God. Of course, God knows the truth. But he allows a little test to be made. So he says to Satan, eh, that's what you think, huh? 
All right. I'm going to let you mess with them a little bit. And we're going to prove you wrong. Anything that he owns, anything that he has, you can touch. But you can't touch his body. So you say, okay, let's see. And that's exactly what he does. He destroys strategically the possessions of Job, even up to his servants and his very family members. And at the end of that bout, that, that's round one. At the end of that round, God says to Satan, see, you've done all that you could, and still Job is saddened, but his faith is, is, is strong in me. He hasn't turned against me, because Satan claimed that, that uh, Job would just curse him to his face, but he doesn't. He says, the Lord is given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He is the accuser of the brother. Now, round two goes, and, and he does that again, and this time he affects Job's very body. We'd ask the question, why does God allow that? Well, I'll tell you what. He allows that for our sake, for Job to be a testimony to encourage us in so many different ways. To let us know, and, and going back to this revelation, we need to understand that Satan is doing his thing on earth right now. He's all around and he's causing havoc. Now, that, that, that can be scary unless you're trusting in Christ. But the ones who aren't trusting in Christ don't even believe that, so they're just dumbly naive. Don't even know the danger that they're in. But Job, Satan is around, and he's doing all that he can. And yet God is protecting his own through that. Revelation 12 says, The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. But look at verse 11. And they have conquered him. They have conquered. Who is the they? The brethren, the believers in Christ. How do we conquer Satan himself? How can we conquer? This is the one who was at war in heaven. He, he had the audacity to wage war in heaven. Now he was defeated, but it wasn't an easy battle. It was a fight. He lost. How can he be conquered? Well, the key here, they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Now, if you're not a believer, that probably doesn't even make sense. And if you are a believer, that's an amazing statement. How in the world can the blood of the Lamb bring victory? The blood of the lamb all through scripture, in fact, all through Revelation is showing us that this lamb is the lamb who was slain, who was put to death. It's a clear picture of the crucifixion of Christ. Satan was conquered when he put to death and inspired evil people of that day to put Jesus to death. 
How did that conquer Satan? It's amazing the plan of God that he would use what most would think as defeat to bring victory. And that's exactly what he did. He had it in, in mind all along. If Satan was smart enough, he'd have simply understood the word of God all the way from Genesis to understand that a sacrifice was to be made for sin. This had to be an innocent sacrifice. God would provide that. He did for Adam and Eve. He highlighted in Cain and Abel. In the sacrifice that Abel brought that Cain did not bring, that God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's offering because it had no blood. It was not an animal sacrifice. Jesus is the Lamb of God. When he came in his ministry, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He is the, the, the substitute for us. It says the blood of the Lamb. That means he had to be killed on the cross. His blood had to be shed so that our sins could be paid for. This is how God conquered Satan. This is how believers in Christ have victory over Satan through the blood, not just any blood, but the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb. We have that same victory today when we trust in the crucified and risen Savior, the one who is the only acceptable payment for our sin, Jesus Christ. It says they conquered him by the blood and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. In other words, when they trusted in, in, in this crucifixion of Jesus, it showed forth in a changed life to where they, they, they don't even fear their own death because what God has given and promised them, in other words, they're able to persevere through Satan's worst because they've trusted in this Jesus. Now here's the last that causes rejoicing and gives us warning as well. Verse 12, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. I think we are to rejoice that God has defeated Satan in heaven and pushed him out. Satan has no place there. He has no rule there. He has a lot of power and a lot of authority and things that he can do, but he can't do nothing in heaven. We rejoice that God's plan is being worked out. His kingdom in heaven is secure, <laughs> and he's preparing it for us. Now, here's the warning. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. He's saying, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't be tricked into thinking that Satan ain't operating and here on earth. And he's not trying to do all that he can. I, I don't know how you could be tricked if you would just look at the news and just look at events that's going on, 
you look at daily lives, as we see people face to face, you realize Satan has done a mighty work. It's ugly. Jesus was accused when he was casting out demons by the Pharisees that he was casting them out in the name of the prince of demons, Beelzebub. And can I paraphrase? Jesus, how stupid is that? You think Satan going to fight against himself? You think he's going to kick his own self out? No. He says, you're going to have to take a strong man if your house is captured by some thugs and thieves who are well armed, you ain't going to walk in there and just negotiate. You need more armor. You need more strength. You need more ammunition. You need more power than the ones who, who, who stole it in the first place. You, it takes a strong man to take that property back. Jesus is taking his property back. And he's doing it by might. Satan's already defeated and he's mad. And he's been sent down to earth. And the warning here is don't think how do you say it? Well, don't think that we're out of harm's way. There's trouble designed for us by Satan. He's going about doing all that he can to disrupt all that God is doing. So there's two things that we want to do. We want to be greatly warned and conscious of what's going on, not ignorant of the plan that's going all around us. Don't be ignorant of Satan and his devices and his purpose and what he's trying to do. If you don't think Satan is trying to destroy you, you're foolish. Now, I don't say that, and the Bible doesn't say that just to scare you. It's to warn you, to keep you committed and trusting under the wing of God. He's the one that protects us. His protection is sure. It's also to warn us that this Christian life is going to have struggles in it. As a church, we're going through a struggle now with the thieves who have come and... Uh, destroyed our furnace HVAC units on top of our roof and, and caused havoc with that. Damage estimated to be over $200,000. We don't have insurance for that. Why? Because they did it before, and they did it before, and they did it before. And insurance says, hey, um, yeah, I'm sorry, we can't cover this anymore. So we have real issues to deal with. But are we discouraged? No! They asked me on a news report, you know, are you going to consider moving out of this neighborhood? Are you kidding me? This is where God has placed us. There's no way, nowhere in the Christian faith that we ought to consider where we minister because of the dangers there. God placed us in the middle of danger. He placed his son in the middle of danger. This ain't our home. <laughs> We're surrounded by the enemy, outnumbered here. But guess what? In heaven, he wasn't outnumbered. God is not outnumbered. <laughs> the angels outnumber Satan's angels two to one. And God is going to bring about his purpose and his plan. He wants us to hold tight. 
He wants to fight strong. He wants to remain here and be faithful until he comes. There's a job to do. There's a testimony that needs to go out. There's a gospel that needs to convince. There's a gospel that needs to change and transform lives. And where do lives need to be transformed? Right here. Right here. Do we dare go anywhere else? No. No, what we do is we trust God to give the resources both spiritually uh, to encourage our hearts and physical. You know, he's always responded to our need of resources. The very seats that you're sitting on right now were donated to us by a church as they developed uh, and, and grew in, in, in their building. So here, take these and start your church with this. God is blessed in so many ways. It, it's just amazing. We'd be foolish not to trust in the plan of God and also in the protection of God. People say, well, it's a danger living on 35th Street, north side of Milwaukee, and ministering there. Sure it is. Can you tell me where it's not dangerous? Now, I agree it's more dangerous here than other places, but God wants his gospel here. God's people need to know this. That Satan is there, he's doing his work, but just as God protected the mother who was pregnant, who was about to bring, bring, bring birth, give birth to this baby in front of this dragon who's ready to devour, and again, that's just a picture of Satan and his schemes, God protected that little baby. He protected him all through life. Until he was on the cross, God purposed that he die. That's part of God's purpose. That's part of God's plan. We need to be in the plan of God, knowing that God will protect us for the work and the ministry that he calls us to. And if his purpose that I get shot in the pulpit, so be it. Bring it on. I'll be with the Lord. You'll be remaining here to continue the work of God. And you better keep on. And you better continue on in it. Trusting in God's purpose, his protection, and his plan. He lets us know Satan is doing his thing. But we don't have to run and hide. We work in the power and the protection of God. It encourages us to continue on. Satan... He's just mad because he already is lost. He knows where he's headed. We know where he's headed. He wants to take as many with him. And we say, no, Lord, we're praying for folks right now. We're praying for folks right now in this congregation that don't yet know Christ. You're here for the purpose, the plan of God was to bring you in your life to hear the gospel. Are you on the right team? Are you trusting Christ? Is your whole life laid on the foundation of Jesus Christ? We invite you to do that right now. Trust him. Turn your life to him. And if you have trusted Christ, we want to encourage you to obey him fully. Don't take a break. Don't take a vacation. Don't do something else. Trust obey and follow him fully knowing that God is going to protect you for his purpose 
And if it's, if it's his purpose for us to endure as Job endured, trust that he'll, he'll walk us through that. And in the end, just like Job came out <laughs> shining, he came out better than he went in. He came out glorifying God in his testimony and then being an encouragement to all those who could see his life. That way, Job is a picture of Jesus Christ himself. God sent his son to earth as a baby, as a human being, for his mission to save his people from his sin. And he was committed to that purpose even though it brought his very death. But in that death, he won the victory for me and you. He won the victory for all of eternity. We follow that same path. Trust Christ. Trust in God. It's not that we don't face danger. or we're not, It's not even that we aren't afraid of danger. We are afraid of danger. But we are more encouraged or we are more trusting of God and what he's going to do for us when we face those dangers. Let's pray. We thank you for revealing your plan to us, Father, through your word. We want to be faithful in the task that you've given us. We want to be faithful in our individual lives. Parents are called to be faithful raising their children in this wicked, violent, vile world to honor you, to be warriors for you. Husbands are called to be the example in the home, to lead according to your purpose and your will and your love and give your direction. Wives are being called to follow you and trust you in submission to their husband and obedience to you, raising children that will glorify you. Singles are called, Lord, to commit themselves fully to you, to push away, to resist sexual temptations and all the things that the world is throwing at them, but to be committed to you, to, to, to take your gospel out to people who are just like them but need to hear the gospel, need to see the gospel alive in their lives. Widows and widowers are called to trust you for your companionship, for your faithfulness, for your love, to share their lives with others who, who need to see their faith and, and, and walk as they walk. They've experienced sorrow, but you have called them to be faithful to the end as spouses who were faithful. Now you're calling them to walk that same path and demonstrate that in their lives. So Lord, I pray that each one of us in whatever state we are in, that we submit ourselves to you right now. This Christmas season just highlights and shows us your purpose and your plan. We're thankful, Lord, that it includes us. You chose us. You brought us to faith in Jesus Christ. And you're bringing others to faith in Jesus Christ. So we just want to be faithful to you. 
We thank you for the encouragement from your word, encouragement from the saints who walk the same path that we are walking now. We pray that you would just stir up that faithfulness in your people today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.